Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. Before I dive into the message this morning, I want to just say a quick announcement. I know you've already heard about Part of the Heartbeat, our push for volunteers on all of our volunteer areas. And I know for some of you, you may be thinking, I'd volunteer, but that's just not something I've ever done. And that kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm not sure I can do that. Well, just know that most of the people that volunteer here feel exactly that way, but we hear over and over and over from people that they are so glad they did. They never thought they could do what they're doing, and that they're seeing God move in their life in a way that they'd never seen before. And, um, and just to share with you, just recently, one of the new volunteers here at Brothers Fellowship is my daughter, Emily. She's 13. And if she can do it, you're kind of all out of excuses, okay? She's, uh, she's been sharing with me lately, too, just the cool things that are happening in the children's area where she's been volunteering. And it's just neat to see across the board how God is moving in people's lives. That, and maybe the first time you've ever seen God use you to be a blessing to someone else in that way. And it can become a real highlight of your week. So please consider this. Fill it out. Drop it in the basket. Drop it in the silver can on the way out. Give that some thought and consideration this morning. Now, this morning, we're going to start the message number three in this series, Guardrails, we've been in. And to start this one, I want to begin by sharing with you a story that happened to me back in 1985. I mean, we've got to rewind the tape. Some of you can't even remember what 1985 was about. But I turned 16 that year. I know some of you are doing the math. Yes, I'm 50. Okay. Um, so I was 16. I just got my license. It was also the year that Texas passed the mandatory seatbelt law. And this is what's weird about this. It's hard for many of us in the room to remember this. But there was a time where we didn't wear seatbelts at all in the state of Texas. Like, never. I grew up my whole life hardly ever wearing a seatbelt unless we were going to go, like, extreme off-roading. I, I knew when I rode with my dad, we're probably going to get airborne at some point, and my head's going to hit the ceiling. So I got That was my dad. Anyway, um, but I had, that was about the only time I wore a seatbelt, to be really honest. And when that law passed, I thought... This has got to be the silliest, no, I didn't say silly, stupidest, if I can be really honest, stupidest, unnecessary law. I mean, I'm 16, again, that's, that's my 16-year-old mind process. I wish I didn't have to wear the seatbelt. I'm finally free, I can drive, stop hassling me with the seatbelt, okay? But my brother, my stepbrother Ken, who was about two weeks behind me in terms of his birthday, uh, he was the one that got me started seatbelt. We'd get in the car and he'd say, all right, let's buckle up. Let's buckle up. He's such a rule follower, I'm telling you. But anyway, he was the one that got me to get that into a habit in my life. Well, fast forward a couple of years. I'm out of high school. I'm in college. I'm going to work one day. I'm late. It had just rained. There's water standing in the road. And I'm going down this little two-lane country road. And I go through this kind of low water crossing area. The water's not over the road, but it's definitely standing in the road. And I go through these puddles, and I can feel my pickup starting to do this number. It's scary, y'all. I'm, I'm like losing control. I'm hydroplaning, and I'm thinking, this happens to other people, not me. And I hydroplane, lost control of my truck, and went down an embankment and crashed my truck into a tree. And I mean, it's nearly standing up and down like this. And 
I uh, look at the rearview mirror. I'm bleeding a little bit. I had a little cut over my head, over my eye. Uh, I had a really nice bruise where the seatbelt was. But other than that, I was totally okay. And what was interesting is that there was this guideline, this guardrail, in other words, that was imposed upon me, I thought was silly, stupid, and unnecessary, arguably saved my life in that moment. This is why we're talking about guardrails. This is why we're talking about these kind of guidelines in our life, because it may seem silly. It may seem even old-fashioned and antiquated, especially today, what we're going to talk about today. But I'm telling you, it just might be the thing that saves your marriage. It saves your life. It saves your kids. It saves your future relationships if you're single. I'm telling you, it could make all the difference in your life. But you've got to be open to say, okay, I'll consider. I'm at least open. Maybe God's got something that you never expected. But we've been talking about guardrails because, and you already know what guardrails are. Guardrails are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas. Guardrails do two things. Guardrails direct and protect, don't they? In all areas, not just on the roadways, but in relationships, as we talked about last week. In, in, in all areas of life, in morality, in, in our relationship with God, and, and even in the area we're going to talk about today. And when it comes to guardrails on our roadways, there's an accepted way in which we place guardrails. And that is that the guardrail always goes in the safety zone, not in the danger zone. In other words, we put margin between the guardrail and the edge of the cliff, the guardrail and the edge of the, the, the bridge or the oncoming traffic. There's some margin, and we're so glad we do, right? Those of us who have kids driving, grandkids, nieces and nephews, people we really care about that are new drivers, they need that margin right there, right? We want to make sure that we protect them. It's so incredibly important. Nobody argues the logic of putting a guardrail in the safety zone instead of the danger zone. I want you to remember that, especially as we get to today's topic. You need margin, okay? And so... Guardrails also are designed to minimize damage. In other words, if you were happen to glance off a guardrail with your car, yes, it'll do damage to your car, but it is minimal damage compared to what it would have done to your car, to you, to your family, if you had gone off the cliff, gone off the bridge, gone into the oncoming traffic, right? Minimal compared to the destruction it would have brought to your life. And it goes without saying that guardrails are, are, are not just needed in our roadways. It's needed in every aspect and area of our lives. It's so critical to every area. Because I, could, I bet everyone here could think back to a time where you have had a greatest regret in your life. Like, I wish like crazy that had not happened. I wish that I hadn't done that. I wish I had made that choice. And you could go back and retrace your steps. And if you had had guardrails at the time of the decision-making process, relational guardrails, financial guardrails, professional guardrails, moral guardrails, spiritual guardrails, it would have absolutely changed the way that whole thing went down. And you probably could have completely avoided that regret altogether. And because that is true, in light of that, then future regrets also can be avoided by establishing guardrails in your life right now. Now, in other words, the purpose of guardrails is to be a warning light to our conscience, to keep us from hurting others and ourselves. It's, 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 it's us putting in place like 
like decisions, commitments that we share with people we love to say, hey, help me, hold, hold me accountable to this. Help me. I want to share this with you. And it's something that when we bump up against it, it's going to make us feel uneasy. We're going to feel uncomfortable. And that uncomfortable feeling is us putting something in the safety zone that keeps us from going off the edge of the danger zone. And it's so critical, um, especially in the day that we live in. Because um, today, um, more than any other day, I, I really believe that the big problem for having guardrails is that our culture says, no, we reject guardrails. You don't need them. You, you especially don't need them. And, and there's no place that where the guardrails are rejected more than the area that we're going to talk about today. And here's the area we're going to talk about today. In the area of your protecting your marriage or protecting yourself until marriage. Protecting your marriage or protecting yourself to marriage. And these may sound like they're not really linked, but after 30 years of doing ministry, Leslie and I have been talking about this a lot lately, these are absolutely inseparably linked. And here's what I see over and over and over. And if you will hear this, write it down and apply it to your life, it can make all the difference. People who exercise little to no self-control before they get married have an extremely difficult time exercising self-control after they get married. I'm not saying it's impossible. It is extremely difficult. I'm telling you. So what I want to tell you right now is what my brother Ken used to tell me all the time. All together, let's buckle up, okay? Because what I'm about to share with you may feel kind of like the 16-year-old version of Will. You're going to feel like this feels unnecessary and kind of stupid and old-fashioned, and why do we need to do this? But I'm telling you, it can make all the difference in your life. It has in mind. It can make all the difference in your relationships. It has in mind. In your marriage, it has in mind. I'm telling you, it makes such a huge difference. And essentially, what we're talking about today is this. Today, we're going to talk about the most needed and most resisted of all the guardrails. And we're talking about romantic fidelity. Romantic fidelity. Now, I know you know what romantic means, but let me break down what fidelity means. Fidelity, from the Latin fidelis, that means faithful. It means loyal. Faithful, loyal. This is what every heart desires in an exclusive, intimate relationship with another person. That I want somebody who's faithful and loyal, not somebody who's unfaithful and lies to me and is dishonest. Nobody wants that. And what's interesting is that this is something that um, in, the, in the area of our culture, that there's no place where we are more baited and shamed than in this particular area of romantic fidelity. And here's what I mean by that. We are inundated with stories, television sh stories, movie stories, books, etc., where people cheat and they have affairs. And we, we entertain, entertain ourselves with those kinds of stories. And then we are shocked and just even disgusted when we find out somebody that we know actually has had one, right? It's kind of a double standard. It's kind of this weird thing that's happened. But here's what happens when we get this right. When we say, no, we're going to adopt, even though it is not popular, it's not common, it is not something everybody's doing, we're going to adopt relational and sexual guardrails for our life 
When we do that, it is incredible what happens. When we get this guardrail right, the world changes for the better. Let me share with you just some of the results that happen. There is less poverty. There are less, fewer unwanted pregnancies. There's fewer kids in foster care. Fewer kids are raised without a mom or a dad present. And I bet just in this room right here, there are many of you that know somebody or you are somebody who was raised by somebody that if they had had relational and sexual guardrails in their life, your life would have turned out really differently or their life would have turned out really differently for the better. It's just powerful when they're placed in, put in place. And this is why the Apostle Paul said what he did in the New Testament when he spoke to the church, these Christians in the Corinth area. The city of Corinth was a city that was famously known for no sexual and relational guardrails. Like anything goes. You do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That was pretty much what went down in Corinth. And these people were starting to be followers of Jesus Christ in the middle of this kind of a culture. And Paul's saying, let me help you to get some guardrails in place because I don't want to see you going off the edge. I don't want to see you making your life yet one more story uh, of just devastated um, relationships one after another. I want to see you thrive. I don't want you just to barely survive. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 18. If you would, let's read this highlighted word together, the first one right here. Ready? One, two, three. Flee from sexual immorality. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to run from, like sprint away from sex outside of marriage. That's what he says. Sex before marriage, and once you have made that covenant with, a, with your spouse, any other proposition or opportunity, no, run away from it to protect and guard that relationship. And at the end of the day, this is what every man wants from his wife. This is what every woman wants from her husband, is that kind of romantic fidelity, to have faithfulness and loyalty, right? It's what every parent wants for their kids, because this is what healthy, long-lasting relationships look like. This is just the way it works. But we live in a culture, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't flee from sexual immorality, it flirts with it. And then it shames you if you go over the edge. And it will put you all over the media, make fun of you, and embarrass you because you didn't have a guardrail. But it says, no, 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 don't you have a guardrail? You went over the edge, but we're going to, at very best, we'll just have vaguely painted lines out there somewhere, and hopefully you'll notice where they are. And nobody really knows where they are. And that's the thing. Paul's saying, you got to be intentional about this. It's really important. Paul was really extreme when it came to this issue of sexual immorality. And why is that, Paul? Why are you so extreme? He tells us in the next part of the verse. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their, let's say it together, against their own body. That's right. They sin against their own body. In other words, he says, this one is uniquely damaging and destructive to you. Like, can God still forgive sexual sin? Absolutely. He absolutely can and He will. If you ask Him, He will. But it doesn't mean that there's not some baggage that goes with you. 
There's some brokenness that you're going to carry. Now, can he put the brokenness back together? You better believe he can. He absolutely can. It takes time. It is going to be difficult, but he absolutely can. This is a unique sin, he's saying, and I want, to, I want you to pay close attention to this particular area of your life. He says, because when you take sexually what was intended for one other person, a unique one-of-a-kind covenant relationship with one other person, and you divvy that up with several other people, you give a little piece of yourself away to every one of those people. It begins to erode who God intended and meant for you to be. This is why if you begin to live that kind of a lifestyle, it is going to be really hard to maintain like peace in your life and self-esteem peace begins to drain out of people. I've walked with too many people who've been down this road. It goes out of them. There is this internal like angst and suffering and hurt that goes that you're trying to fill. Well, if I could just get somebody else to love me, somebody else to love me, it'll make me feel okay about me for just a little while. But there is this pervasive emptiness the further you go down that road that it becomes more and more empty as a human being, and it hurts. And Paul is saying, make no mistake about it. This kind of sin is a sin that betrays you. It's you betraying you. It's you hurting you. Unlike any other sin, it is unique. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to help you. And many times what it does is it causes people to become deceivers, secret keepers, and liars because they don't want anybody to know their past history sexually. And it, what it does is it keeps people from ever being intimate with anybody. It certainly doesn't allow them to be intimate with God. If you can't be completely honest, totally faithful, loyal, and open-hearted, you don't get to be intimate. It's just false, phony. It's going through the motions, but it never feels like you actually connect at the deepest level. Paul is trying to say, I want to help you to have God's best and there are consequences to taking shortcuts. There are consequences to saying, I don't need that guardrail. I don't need that seatbelt. I'm done. I'm good. It's stupid. It's, no, it doesn't work. He's saying, before you do, consider what it's going to do to you, what you're doing to you. And here's what he says. He goes on to say, do you not know? Do you not know? In other words, there's something that you need to know that maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never realized this. And what he's doing right here is he's speaking directly to those who have become followers of Jesus Christ, those who have become disciples of Jesus. And today we'd say they're Christian people, right? That they are some people that Paul is saying, listen, there's something unique you need to understand. And if you fully understood this, it would probably radically change your behavior in this area of relational and sexual conduct in your life. And it's more than just consequences of the sin. It's deeper than that. It's more important than that. What is he getting at? Here's what he says next. He says, he says, uh, do you not know that your bodies are, let's say it together, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You see, Paul just makes a shift from the consequences of the sin to your identity. In other words, he's asking a deeper question. He's saying, do you even know who and what you are? 
Because I, I think when I look at some of your conduct, I'm, I'm kind of thinking you don't even know who you are. You don't even know what you are. In a day when nothing is sacred, you need to know you are sacred before God. He loves you. You are a sacred image bearer of the almighty God. He created you to have a relationship with him. The God of the universe did that for you and for me. He did that. And he says, and I want you to be the temple, the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit of God. That you will contain the holiness of God as a child of God. Do you even know who you are, what you are, how precious you are? And back in Paul's day, it was really interesting because this is actually somewhat true still to today, but the value of a container was determined by its contents. The jars many times would contain perfume, and if it was expensive, expensive perfume, it was an expensive jar. If it was expensive olive oil, it was an expensive jar, Right? And Paul essentially is saying, listen, you're the container, and you contain the Spirit of Almighty God, which means, and don't miss this, you are priceless. You're priceless to God. So you should treat yourself accordingly and treat everybody else around you also that way. It's so important because many times we forget. We forget who and what we are. And Paul's saying it's so important that you understand that the value of you is determined by what you contain, and you contain the most valuable thing in the universe, God's presence, His Spirit is with you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you are not, we're going to give you an opportunity today to begin that relationship with Him. He goes on to say this. He says, you are not your own. Now, this is not a very popular thing to say these days. You may be saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Will. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I am my own. I am my own leader. I'm in charge of this body. And Paul says, now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are not your own leader. You're not your own owner. God is now your owner. And be glad he is your owner because ownership determines value. Just like what a container contains determines its value, ownership also determines value. Let me, let me prove it to you. I'm going to show you a guitar right now. This guitar right here, for those of you who play guitars, you probably recognize. This is a Fender Stratocaster. And this particular model right here runs about $1,600 if you want to go buy one brand new. This particular guitar, though, if you wanted to buy it, it would be $50,000. You know why? Because it is signed by its owner, a Mr. Eric Clapton, all right? Because of the ownership of this guitar, it gave it extraordinary value. Ownership determines value, and so it is with you. Because the Almighty God owns you, He is your master. He says, I place huge value upon you that no one can take away. Now, you can forget and act like you don't have any value, but that is your choice. That is you sinning against you. Don't do that. He's saying, I want you to remember you're precious and you're so important that you're priceless to me. 
not only because of what you contain, but because of whose you are. And he goes on to say this, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, right? You were bought with a price. In, in, in economics, we have been taught that the, the price of any particular item is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it, right? What's, what someone's willing to give for it. And Jesus says, I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to give the ultimate price for you, for your freedom. I'm willing to die for you so that you can be free from sin. And then he asks us to die to sin so that we might be free in Christ because he's our owner, because he's the one who fills us. He's the one who's paid for us. And because of the price he's given to us, we are priceless, not only because of what we contain, who our owner is, and what's been paid for us. We are priceless. And it's beautiful because God says, and listen, I created you especially to have exclusive um, romantic fidelity in relationships where there is faithfulness and there's loyalty and there's a part of your heart that longs for that, yearns for that. Even if you've never had it, you would just wonder how good could that be? There's a part of you that knows that that is true, that it is in your heart to want it. And God says, and it's there because that's the way you were created. He goes on to say this in verse 20. He says, therefore, in other words, before we go any further, the therefore is saying, like, in light of the fact that you are a container of God's Spirit and you're priceless. Therefore, in light of the fact that your ownership is with the Lord and has made you priceless. Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate price to prove that you are priceless. Therefore, in light of the fact that God has uniquely designed you for a one-of-a-kind covenant relationship with another person, intimacy, beautiful, blessed of God, in light of all of that, he says, and here's the last half of this verse, he says, honor God with your bodies. In light of all that he has done for you, doesn't it just make sense? Doesn't it just make sense when you begin to understand your identity? Not just the consequences of sin, but what God has in store for those who are willing to embrace his goodness and respect his guardrails and say, yes, God, I want that for my life. And here's the thing you will see over and over, the New Testament sexual ethic that Jesus taught and everybody who came behind him is honor God with your body and honor other bodies with your body. Do you see the first and second commandment there? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. He says, and it should carry all the way into the sexual, intimate realm of your covenant relationship. And you will be blessed if you do this. Powerful. Let's talk for a minute about practical guardrails, starting first with those of you who are married and engaged. If you're married or engaged right now, I just want to encourage you to have this conversation with your spouse or your future spouse as soon as possible to talk about what guardrails should we put in place. We know where the danger zone is. How can we come two or three steps over into the safety zone and set a guardrail in place and say, let's protect this marriage, let's protect this family because it's precious. 
We don't go put the guardrail right on the edge and, and when we're trying to protect something precious. We put margin there. So let's have the conversation. You need to know, guys, what she thinks about this. And ladies, you need to know what he thinks. And you need to agree to it and agree to an accountability together to do these things together and to honor each other. And I want to give you a suggestion right now as engaged or married people, and that is this, that you would consider avoiding traveling with or eating with, alone with, members of the opposite sex that are not your spouse, okay? I realize that that is complicated for some of you in your workplaces, that there's sometimes that you may have to do this. And I would encourage you that when you have to do that, right, even in those situations, do it in a public way and tell your spouse before and after that you're going to have to have this situation and this is going to come up. Talk to them about it. When there is hesitation to tell your spouse, when you're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell her, I don't know if I want to tell him, that is a red light on the dashboard saying, whoa, pull over now, this is dangerous, this is warning, you're flirting, you're not fleeing right now, this is no good. Don't keep secrets. That should be another guardrail. No secrets. We're honest, we're open, we're going to tell the truth to each other. Incredibly important. And, and to add on to that, I want to encourage you that you're going to have people at work, friendship circle, uh, that are uh, the opposite sex. They're going to going through really hard times, and they're going to want to confide in you. And if you're married or engaged, let me just tell you, there's going to be a temptation to want to be their counselor, right? And I, I just want to encourage you right now because don't do that. I want to that has turned into really dangerous territory for a lot of couples. You may be saying, well, Will, they really need help. And I absolutely agree. They really need help. They just don't need you, okay? They need somebody who can actually help them. Because what happens when we start sharing on these deep levels, it's hard not to let the heart start get mingled in and you start having feelings. And, man, one thing leads to another. We talked about one thing leads to another just a couple of weeks ago. Be careful. Be mindful of where things are going. As a matter of fact, I would say when your heart begins to drift towards another person that's not your spouse, tell somebody. Tell somebody right away. Share that with somebody and put some distance between you and that person. Shut it down as soon as possible. It's so incredibly important to get on this early and to have guardrails and have people that love you enough that can help you hold you help hold you accountable that you'll share this with. It's so important. Now, let me talk to singles for just a minute. If you are single, you're here in the room, I, I just want to encourage you uh, that to protect your future marriage, to, to protect future intimacy, because it is in the danger zone if you don't have guardrails. I want to encourage you to adopt this married person rule that I just gave you for all of your married and engaged friends. In other words, if you have married and engaged friends, don't eat alone, ride in cars alone, meet behind closed doors with those who are married or engaged, okay? It's just being wise. It's just being smart. It's just putting guardrails between you and danger, and that's, it's so incredibly important to do that. And I also want to encourage you that you solo, all by yourself, go ahead and decide where does the guardrail for dating need to be for you. Away from the edge of danger, come back over here. You know, okay, that's too far. Sex before marriage, too far. Then I'm going to come a couple of steps back over here and put a safety guardrail and say, 
I'm not going any further than this. And I know it'd be awkward to bring up on a very first date, right? That's why you need to already pre-decide before you go on the date where your guardrail is. Now, if you're dating exclusively single people with somebody, you ought to have the conversation with that person and to sit down and say, let's decide together, let's agree together where that guardrail needs to be for us as a couple, right? And if they are not willing to put guardrails in place or when, once you do put the guardrail in place, they don't respect them, they don't honor the guardrail, they're showing you they're not mature enough to date you, so don't date them, okay? It just becomes quite simple at that point. doesn't mean you can't ever date them in the future. It's just you say, hey, you know what? This was the guardrail. This was the deal. I'm sorry. It's not going to work out right now, okay? And I'm, I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, but, you know, it's time to grow up a little bit, all right? So it's important to put that in place. And also, once you do start dating, be so careful, single people, of long stretches of time when you're all alone behind closed doors and you're watching Netflix and one thing leads to another. I'm just telling you, it can happen before you know it. Put guardrails in place to say, we got to be smarter than that. We have an enemy that is looking for any way to destroy your potential for great relationships in the future. And so you've got to be wise to say, God, help me to put good guardrails in place. Have these conversations early. It's so important. And here's the, the bottom line, is that great romance and intimacy, great romance and intimacy in marriage is fueled by exclusivity. And you already know this. The Bible backs this up over and over and over. But the moment that the exclusivity, the faithfulness, and the loyalty goes away, so does the romance and the intimacy. It dissipates and disappears immediately. This is just the way God made us. And it's so important. I mean, every person wants somebody to say, I love you and you alone. I only have eyes for you. I'm not sharing my heart with anybody else. But you do not get there without guardrails. I wish I could tell you, oh, you just roll the dice. You're strong enough. You'll get there. No. Too many failed attempts have happened. Guardrails makes it a no-brainer. Guardrails protect you and protect what's most precious and what's most important. And I just encourage you today that would you be open to say, God, show me where I need to put guardrails in place today while I still have time. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me. Simply saying, Jesus, I commit to establish guardrails of fidelity, that is, faithfulness and loyalty, that will honor you and protect the ones I love and myself. I praise you for paying the ultimate price for me. I am yours. The end of that prayer is just simply saying, you're my owner. <laughs> I'm yours, and I'm going to let you call the shots. You show me where the guardrails are, and my yes is on the table. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.